We'll go to Acts 9 and we'll, we'll begin reading. And a couple things we want to do is, of course, the public reading of the text is most important. And then uh, we're reading about Paul's conversion, the conversion of Saul who became Paul. And what we want to do is look at three, three ways that Paul describes his conversion. There are three passages. There's a, there's a verse in Philippians, Philippians 3.12, 2 Corinthians 4.6, and then 1 Timothy 1.14, where Paul describes what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And I think that'll be... Uh, Beneficial. It'll inform us, and I think uh, it puts it in terms that uh, you can uh, you can almost feel they're they're palpable. Uh, so this is this is this excites me as we get as we get rolling here tonight. Well, let's go to Acts nine verse one, and we pick it up there. Saul is still there. He is in his lost condition. He is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way. Now, the way was an early reference to the church, uh, the, the group, the body of believers. Any belonging to the way, both men and women, Oh, by the way, they were called the way because of their way of life. The way of life of a believer is different from the way of life of an unbeliever. Does that need to be said? I don't think we, yeah, we we need to say that. It's a different way of life. So they they were called people of the way. Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this is serious. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The man who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. So Saul's reputation preceded him. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, 
For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. So we'll stop there for a moment. Um, Never ceases to amaze me that in reading about Saul's conversion, uh, the uh, scholars, let's just use that word, I guess, uh, will conclude that you know, they will, they will make this conversion of Saul into some kind of psychological experience. Like uh, he was ridden with guilt from Stephen's death and it just got the best of him. And I mean, you get everything. I don't understand why people go to the Bible and try to explain it away when there's the plain meaning of the text. Obviously, we know what happened on the road to Damascus. When Saul was going to Damascus, he was confronted by the Lord Jesus. And we'll see this here in a little bit in Paul's own words as he describes what happened to him on that road. Some say that he had some kind of an epileptic uh, seizure. I mean, it just gets weird the way people think about this. Um, But the plain meaning of the text is that that he was stopped on the road to Damascus by sovereign grace because Saul's will was that he persecute the church, but evidently God had another plan in mind for Saul. And we see God's hand in this at every step of the way. And it's, it's amazing how the Lord just brings things together uh, for the benefit or the glory of heaven and the good of the church, ultimately. So, um, so he takes food and he was strengthened. Um, so let's, uh, now's probably a good time to see how he describes this, uh, what happened to him. So let's go to Second Corinthians and verse 6. Let's hear from Paul's own mouth concerning what took place. In his own heart and life that day. I, I feel like I would be remiss not to mention that uh, a well-known uh, country singer uh, wrote a song called I Saw the Light, uh, Hank Williams, and a very popular song back in the day, and I think comes from this account of Saul uh, seeing the brilliance of Jesus. So right here in verse 6, For God who said, Light 
shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that really sums up what took place in his life on that road. And in that moment, God stopped him. God shined not only around him, but evidently in him, in his heart, as he illumined the truth of God and the Lord Jesus. And then over in Philippians 3 and verse 12. The whole chapter here is, well, at least the first part is a, uh, a recounting. Uh, it's a mini autobiography of Paul's life. And you get to verse 12, and he says, this is really, this is really good. He says, not, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So Paul's talking about, uh, let's just put it in, in layman's terms. Paul's talking about being arrested by the Lord Jesus. So this one, Saul, who had obtained a, a, a commission from the high priest to go take Christians captive and to bring them, uh, put them in jail. Uh, this one, who had every intent to arrest Christians, is now arrested by Christ. And that's what, that's what this means. He says, for which, that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So uh, you can uh, guarantee that on that Damascus road, the, that Saul was arrested, that he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And what we always like to say is, you know, for a believer, uh, you know, it's, it's the sovereign grace. He lays hold of you. And then what do you do? Well, you lay hold of him. That's the way that works. When God lays hold of you, you lay hold of him. It's right here in this verse. This may become uh, my, about my 53rd life verse. I mean, I've always just felt it so unfair just to be confined to one life verse. But, you know, why not have many? I like to have a lot of life. I need all the life verses I can get, as a matter of fact. But I love that. That's Paul. He's thinking back, and he's thinking, uh, okay, of terminology that would describe what took place on the road to Damascus. And he basically says, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I was arrested by Christ Jesus. And then uh, there was one more. Oh, yeah. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14. Well, just pick it up right there in the middle of the verse. Or right there in the middle of the sentence at the beginning of verse 14. He says, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. There's the key word with the faith and love which are found 
in Christ Jesus. So the picture here is that as he thinks about his conversion, that that was the moment that a virtual river of God's mercy and grace uh, just flooded his being. So he saw the light, he was arrested, he was laid hold of, and he was a recipient or became a recipient of the grace and the mercy, the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, you know, when he's writing to Timothy, these, he's, he's older. When he's writing these pastoral epistles to Timothy and Titus, he's an older man. And, uh, and he, he's still reflecting on what took place um, on the road to Damascus. Well, let's go back and find Acts 9. And let's, uh, we're not going to start over, but we're going to, we'll keep going and uh, we have some good uh, information in front of us there in the middle of verse 19. We find, okay, the first part of that verse, he took food and was strengthened. And you and I need to think that, yes, the physical is important. You need food. Food strengthens us. But he's also being spiritually strengthened. These things are going hand in hand. And then... Right there, now for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, we can, we can ice skate over this, but we don't want to do that. This is the only time, I believe, in the book of Acts that the reference to Jesus as the Son of God is used. So what did, what, what's involved in this uh, title of Christ or this recognition of him as the Son of God? First of all, there's three things. First of all, that he's obedient to the Father Secondly, that he is the revealer of the Father. And then thirdly, that he is the authorized agent of the Father. Those three things are involved in this title, the Son of God, as uh, the the reference to Jesus. But that is what he's proclaiming. And I think the word immediately here is important in verse 20. Evidently, right on the heels of his being converted, he is ministering. He is proclaiming. There it is. He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. And what was he saying? I'm so thankful that Luke is meticulous in his chronicling this uh, life of Paul, he is the son of God. And the Bible goes on to say, all those hearing him continue to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? 
Verse 22, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, we want to go uh, look at a couple verses in Galatians because at some point, Paul goes to Arabia and he writes about this in Galatians, in, I think it's the first chapter of Galatians. And we try to, we try to uh, fit his excursion into Arabia in with this Acts account. I think it was probably sometime after he preached Jesus, the Son of God, in the synagogues of Damascus, that he went to Arabia. So if we look here, let's see. Yeah. Here it is in verse 15 and following of Galatians chapter 1. Paul again is reflecting on his conversion. He says, But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, by the way, that's some uh, language that we read in Jeremiah 1 when. Jeremiah says, before, uh, you know, before I was in my mother's womb, you knew me, oh God. You know, it's, it's that kind of language. And Paul's, look at that. God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. It's interesting language considering that, you know, we don't know exactly how old he was when he was on the road to Damascus, but he's an adult. Uh, So he's saying the Lord knew and called me through his grace. He says, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. So we're thinking right sometime in close proximity to his conversion, he goes to Arabia. Let's read on. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. In other words, you know, that was the, uh, the home base, so to speak, of the apostles. When the, when the persecution broke out, uh, the apostles maintained uh, their, uh, their standing in Jerusalem. They weren't scattered, but the other, uh, other aspects of the church, other people in the church were scattered. He says, I didn't go to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles before me. But he says, I went away to Arabia. Right there it is in verse 17. And returned once more to Damascus. So that's, that's interesting. And he says, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. So for a span of three years. Now it's interesting because we know the apostle, the original apostles were with Jesus. How long? Three years. And so here he is three years in Arabia. Uh, there may be something there, something significant about the time spent in Arabia. He says, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, with Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So Syria is Damascus, and then Cilicia is Tarsus, 
We know Tarsus is up in that location, and that's where he was from. And he says, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So he's making the point that he didn't go south right away. He went east, uh, then maybe south, but he was not in Judea. He did not go to Jerusalem until later. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So the, the question is, what, what took place in Arabia? What, what was that three years? So we think there were three things that took place in Arabia. Number one, that he continued uh, his tent-making operation. It was normal for rabbis, for Pharisees, to have another occupation. It was not normal just for them to make a living on their teaching or on their following. They all, and so Paul was what? We know he was a tent maker. So we think when he went back to Arabia, he's, he's probably continuing to make tents. And that's significant. People back then, you know, tents would have been very high on uh, your list for something to have, something to keep you out of the elements. The second thing that he did is we have no doubt that he attended the scriptures, that he meditated, and that he prayed during that time. I mean, can you imagine? He's been converted. He's heard Jesus He's seen the light. I think he goes back to Arabia and I think he pours over the Torah. I think he rereads Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. By the way, Leviticus is in the middle of the Torah. We kind of forget that, meaning it's a high point of the Torah. All that blood, it's a high point of the Torah. All those rules, high point of the Torah. Because there would be one who comes who keeps all those rules, who fulfills the whole law, and then who sheds his blood for our sin. So he pours over this. We have, to, we have to think that he is in Arabia, but it's not just solitude. He's tent making, he's reading, he's praying, and he's preaching. He's preaching. And here's the evidence that he was preaching. 2 Corinthians 11. Go to verse 32. Oh, and we're going to have... (laughs) There's a a gospel song about getting carried away. And I just got carried away. I am so sorry about that. We'll, We'll conclude and then start here next time. But since we've opened the door for this, notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, in Damascus... The ethnarch under Aretas. Aretas was over the Nabotean kingdom that was in Arabia. Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to what? Seize me. <laughs> so this is why we think he wasn't just praying and reading. He was ministering in Arabia And he is now a wanted man 
by Aretas, who was a king over the Nabataeans. And then notice, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. And then he goes on, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Do we think those visions and revelations of the Lord occurred while he was in Arabia those three years? It would not be a stretch to think that. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. By the way, we look at that third heaven and we think, wow, that was so lofty. To a Jew, it wasn't so lofty. They believed in seven heavens. So Paul is not puffing himself up. He is, he is really under. He's, he's showing humility here in the revelations that he has received. And he says, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And he goes on to describe the thorn in the flesh. So we think, okay, God, had, God said, he is a chosen instrument of mine. And God's going to train him and God's going to work with him while he's in Arabia for that span of three years. And does God give him revelations and visions? Quite possibly he does. And a thorn in the flesh. And Paul asked three times that it would be removed and it was not removed. So we better stop there tonight. Uh, we've covered really a lot, and I trust that this edifies and strengthens.